So this is week three of our series on worship. How many of you guys have been to the first two weeks? Go ahead and raise your hand. God bless you. How many of you guys, not unto condemnation, how many of you guys missed last week by any chance? Okay, awesome. How many of you guys missed the first week? Okay, cool, awesome. So we're going to recap a little bit. This is my wife, Alicia. Say hi, Alicia. Hi, guys. Oh, this is awesome. We get to do this together tonight. She's way easier on the eyes, so works out. And she's also way smarter than I am. <laughs> you guys, I'm so excited. You know, if you don't know me, my name's Jared. I'm one of the worship pastors here, and I'm passionate about the subject of worship. Uh, and our Tuesday night rehearsal, every Tuesday night, we meet with the choir, we meet with the band, we have rehearsal. It's our big rehearsal night, so this was last night. And uh, Pastor Ken, how many of you guys know Pastor Ken Reynolds? Awesome guy, lead worship pastor here. He threw out a question to the choir. He said to them, uh, just raise your hand for an answer to this question. But he asked the choir, why do you guys sing in the choir? Why are you guys a part of this? Why do you sing? And uh, he turned to me and he wanted me to respond. And, and it was a quick, easy response. In a moment of worship, God changed my life. In a moment of worship, God changed my life forever. And I'll never be the same again. Amen? How many of you guys can raise your hand and attest to that, that you will never be the same again because of an encounter with the living God? That's why we're here. That's what we're doing here. And so for the last three weeks, the uh, last two weeks, three including this week, we've been talking about the subject of worship. We started by why do we worship? And if you just strip it down, the definition of worship, really, it's our response to God's presence in our life. It's our response. All we're doing is responding to God and what he's already done in our lives. And really, if you just make it even simpler, worship is honoring God. Worship is honoring God. If you were to ask uh, somebody for a definition, that's the, the easiest one they could give you. Worship is honoring God. That's why uh, Pastor Jake, when he got up here, he talked about honoring God with your finances. God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart right? He wants your heart. It's a heart thing. Worship is honoring God, and we can worship God in every part of our lives. So that's why this series has been called a lifestyle of worship. And so we talked about why we worship God. We talked about what worship is. Last week, uh, we talked about biblical expressions of praise and worship. And if you weren't here last week, we talked about raising your hands in worship. We talked about w praising with a musical instrument. In Hebrew, there are seven dominant words translated for our one word praise. We have one word that we say praise. In Hebrew, they have seven different words in the Bible. Really, there's 11, but seven that are dominant in Scripture. And each one of those definitions for praise carries a little bit different meaning. A little bit different meaning. One is halal. Halal. Everybody say halal if you weren't here. Halal. halal. If you were here, does anyone remember what it means? I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't think so. That's, that's all good. It means to be clamorously foolish in the Lord's presence. That's where we get the word hallelujah from. Halal. So do we have some halalers in here? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hall <laughs> Maybe that's where that word, I don't know. And the Greek word used in the New Testament for worship is proskuneo. Everybody say proskuneo. 
That means to prostrate oneself before the Lord uh, in honor. Literally, it means you get your face as close to the floor as possible because when you're in the presence of the king, you know, I know we don't live in a kingdom in America, but we are a part of God's kingdom. And when you're before the king, your aim is always to get yourself lower than the king. It's a sign of respect. It's a sign of submission, saying, I am submitting myself to your lordship and kingship over my life. And so that's a really cool word picture to remember as we're worshiping. We want to be proskuneo worshipers. We want to show God as we live out a lifestyle of worship that, Lord, I am submitted to your lordship in my life. And that's why in a moment of worship, getting your nose to the carpet is not a bad thing. You're saying, God, I, I, I can't get any lower. <laughs> Okay, I'm bunny trailing a little bit. Um, and I'm just recapping because these are really important points. I, I'm really, I really want you guys to get this. If you missed the first week. In the first week, we talked about who God is. He's our father, right? He's a good, good father. We sing the song, you're a good, good father. We are his kids. And because we are his kids, we can approach our father differently than someone who was not. Does that make sense? My son, my wife and I, we have four kids. My six-year-old son, Jaden, he can run up to me. He can jump on me. He can give me a kiss on the cheek, and it's cute. I love it. I love him. He's my son. Pastor Dwayne, I love him. He's a great guy, but if he came up to me and gave me a smooch on the cheek, it would be weird. It would be awkward because he's not my son. He's not my son. And the other part of our identity God is our Father, but God has also said in the New Testament that we are priests. Priests, 1 Peter 2, 5, and 6. We are priests. Look at your neighbor right now. If you were here the first week, you already did this, so you're good, but still do it. But go ahead and turn to your neighbor and say, hey, you're a priest. So what does that mean? Collars and robes? Nope. Being a priest, it means we have a job description. We can go to Scripture. Deuteronomy 10.8 lays out our job description as priests. As priests. Remember, God says in the New Testament that through Christ, our great and high priest, we are priests. And in Deuteronomy 10.8, our job description is this. We are to carry God's presence wherever we go. In the Old Testament, the priest's job was to carry the Ark of the Covenant. That's where God's presence was, his manifest presence so you guys are ambassadors for Christ. That means wherever you step foot, you are a representative of the kingdom of God, the law of diplomatic immunity. Wherever you step foot momentarily becomes the kingdom of God. And that's a powerful thing to hold on to, that God wants to use you to change the temperature of the room you walk into, to be a thermostat and not a thermometer. You're to carry God's very presence Wherever you go, wherever you go. And when you do that and you're mindful of it, a lot of times you can lead people to Christ without even opening your mouth. They look at the life you live and say, what's different about you, man or lady? The second part of our job description is to minister before the Lord. We minister before the Lord. What does that mean? It means that we can't possibly know in the natural someone's hurts, someone's wounds, the exact right words to say to somebody, but God knows, right? 
God is waiting for the invitation. We minister before the Lord, and what happens? God shows up and does what only he can do. We invite him into our situations, invite him into our conversations. And the third part of our job description, the Bible says in Deuteronomy 10.8 that the priests were to pronounce blessings over the people. And if you unpack that verse a little bit, the word blessings there, it literally means to call people into the destiny that God has for them. That God wants to use you to help to call somebody into the destiny he has for them. My youth pastor, when I, I was a teenager, great guy, great guy. Um, I came to know Christ as a sophomore in high school. And I fell away from my relationship with God later in high school and early on into college. And he called me out to coffee one day. And I thought he was going to get preachy on me. <laughs> I thought he, I was going to get a, a good scolding for my lifestyle at that time. And, and I deserved it. But you know what he did instead? He looked me in the eye and he said, Jared, don't forget about the call that God has on your life. Don't forget. Because to be honest, at that moment in my life, I felt like I had blown it so much that God could never use me again. He looked me in the eye and he said, don't forget, Jared. And that was a turning point in my life. That was a real catalyst moment. And now God has brought us here. So remember that, you guys. God wants to use you to call someone into the destiny that he has for them. So as a priest, when you're in your quiet time with God, be praying. God, who do you want me to speak life into today? Who do you want me to pour into? Bible says we are blessed to be a blessing. God has saved us and set us free that we could point people to him. Not to kind of hoard all the things of God to ourselves, Right? So that's what we talked about the last couple weeks. <laughs> that's the long short of it. Now tonight, Alicia's up here. You know, it's awesome. We've been leading worship together for the bulk of our marriage. We have four kids, and uh, we've really uh, learned a lot about worship, you know, uh, and just having four kids. <laughs> and just trying to live out this lifestyle of worship together. God's really taught us a lot. And so tonight we're up here not saying we got it all figured out. I am not the brightest bulb in the pack. But we wanted to share the things God's laid on our heart and the things God has taught us um, about living a lifestyle of worship in your marriage. Um, you know, if we look at Scripture, tonight we're going to talk about Ephesians 5. If you brought your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Ephesians 5. We're looking at verses 22 through 33. Paul is addressing the church in Ephesus. And he's addressing husbands and wives. And we're going to talk about, you know, marriage really is a metaphor for good worship. Having a good marriage is God's metaphor for having good worship. There's a book we've been reading uh, in our worship and creative arts department. Our, our staff, we've been reading this book together, How to Worship a King, by Pastor Zach Neese out of Gateway Church. He's uh, one of the worship pastors out there. He's uh, the professor of worship theology out of King's University out there. And, and the guy knows his stuff. This is one of the best books on worship I've ever read. And that's why I'm holding it up here. I want to recommend it to you guys. Uh, but I'll, we want to read you guys a portion out of this book. It's a powerful 
powerful uh, portion in this book, and, and we really feel like you guys are going to get a lot out of it. So I'm going to ask Alicia to read this first part of Ephesians 5, verse 22 through 33. All right. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And this next part, husbands, is for you. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And so what Paul is talking about to the church in Ephesus there, and he's talking to us, that wives are to respect their husbands, and husbands are to love their wives. You know, those are two things that don't come naturally to us, the way God wired us. That's why men, we gravitate to honor and respect, that unspoken honor code. You know, through my time, I've known guys Guys can get in fist fights and then hug it out 10 minutes later and say, I respect you, bro. You know? We watch movies like Gladiator and Braveheart. We gravitate to that kind of stuff. Women gravitate to love. That's why women, they, well, not all. Hey, Pride and Prejudice, hey, I love that movie too, okay? Pride and Prejudice. You know, love stories. Uh, women usually gravitate more towards those stories. That's because God wired us that way. Love and respect. And so we have to be intentional as husbands and wives that we're communicating on that level. Wives, you have to be intentional to speak those words that uh, show your husband respect and honor. And husbands, we have to show our wives uh, that we love them, that they are the, the beauties worth pursuing. That pursuit never stops, right? I want to continue reading. Just cut me off if I'm... Okay. <laughs> I love what Pastor Zach says here. This passage is not just about marriage. It is also about worship. Paul is trying to explain to the Ephesians that if they want to have good marriages, their marriages have to reflect good worship. How does worship work? Jesus gave himself up for the church. Before his bride deserved it, before she submitted, and before she was loving, respectful, or kind, Jesus laid down his life for her. That is sacrificial love, and it's what the cross is all about. How does the church respond? Wives, the bride, by respecting Christ and submitting to his lordship. That is worship. That is worship. You know, 
my father-in-law, I was just telling Mark this earlier, my father-in-law, when I asked for his permission, his blessing, to ask for Alicia's hand in marriage, the first thing he said to me, he looked me in the eye and he said, son, are you ready to die? <laughs> I, uh, I thought, man, it's getting, it's getting hot in here. Do I need to go? Do I, should I be concerned? But what he was saying is, we are to love husbands, our wives, as Christ loved the church means we have to be ready to die. We have to be ready to lay down our life, not just physically, but our own selfish desires and wants. I'm not saying God doesn't want you to pursue your dreams and passions, but God has given you a life partner to pursue those things with, to go on that journey with. Amen? You got anything? Go for it. All right. <laughs> Um, the second part that we wanted to talk about tonight is uh, just putting God at the center of your life, just like the center of your marriage. If we could go to Colossians 1.17, it's one of my favorite verses. Do you guys bring your Bibles? All right. So Colossians 1.17. It says, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You know, before Jared and I rededicated our lives to God, we used to be each other's center. Or, you know, we used to put each other, look to one another um, as put each other on a pedestal. And we can do that with any relationship. We can put our children on that pedestal. We can put a friend, uh, a parent. And they will they'll always disappoint us because... God is the only one that can fulfill us. He's the only one that is meant for that place. So no matter how wonderful they are, they will always disappoint us. Um, if we could go to Romans 5.5, 5, I don't know if they have the verse. It says, and this hope will not lead to disappointment. It's another one of my favorite verses. Um, and it just saying that we can depend on the Lord. He'll never let us down. He'll never abandon us. Isaiah 41.9, I think we have that verse, yep. Um, it says, I have called you back from the ends of the earth, saying, you are my servant. For I have chosen you and will not throw you away. Continuing to verse 10, it says, don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Depending on God really comes down to trusting him. This can be really hard for some of us that have learned to be independent from a really young age. And uh, we learn to never count on anyone but ourselves. And, and we believed a lie for a long time. But we can trust the Lord. Psalm 84, 11 through 12. If you guys want to go there in your Bibles. It says... For the Lord God is our sun and our shield. He gives us grace and glory. The Lord will withhold no good thing from those who will do what is right. O Lord of heaven's armies, what joy for those who trust in you. And honey, if you wanted to talk about just our, our second point that we're going to talk about is um, just knowing our need for God, having, having humility, being dependent on, on yeah, the Lord. Yeah, to, to really live a lifestyle of worship. You have to know that you need God. Uh, you know, it's been said, if you're attending church regularly, you feel like you got it all together, that there's not much you need to work on. 
in your life, the first place to start is humility and pride. That's usually the good place to start. We need a vibrant relationship with God. You know, you've, I, I don't want to do any sacred cow tipping or open up a can of worms. We've all, if you haven't, you, there's, a, there's a debate in the church, once saved, always saved. But the truth is, both sides of that argument, once saved, always saved, both sides of that argument, whether you're far from God or whether you are pursuing a relationship with God every day, both sides of that argument, both of those parties need to pursue a vibrant, healthy relationship with the living God every single day. Amen? At the end of the day, that's what it boils down to. And to really live out this lifestyle of worship, to really, in your marriages, to keep God at the center of your marriage. Because if God is here, your, your spouse, you and your spouse are right here. As you're both drawing closer to God, you're drawing closer to one another. And so to really live out a lifestyle of worship in every part of your life, you have to know you need God. I don't know how people stay married without Christ as the center. I don't want to even think about where I'd be without Christ at the center of my marriage. Can I get an amen? <laughs> it's so true. We need God. Humility. Knowing that, God, I need you. I have to depend on you. I'm a mess without you. Psalm 16.2 says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Uh, a song that I sing a lot. You know, we have four children, and there's a lot of days where I feel very overwhelmed, and um, I sing that song, the, Lord, I need you, oh, I need you, that song, if you guys know it, uh, <laughs> it helps me so much, and, um, you know, just knowing that we are desperate for him, that we, we can't do this without him, yeah. uh, not falling into that trap, you know, I've got this, I'm a good person, I can, I can do it on my own, Mark 2, 17 I should have that for you guys. It says, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. You know, so coming from that place, not, thinking, not coming from, you know, I got this and I'm good on my own, but coming from the place, you know, I, I know I'm a mess without you, Lord. Yeah. You know, those that are forgiven much, love much. There's a verse in Luke 7, 47. It talks about that. It talks about, you know, those that are forgiven much, love much. It says, I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven, so she has shown me much love. You know, um, worshiping out of that gratitude of what God has done for us. You know, he's worthy of all of our praise. You know, not only in the everyday things. You know, he's there for us every single day. Anytime that we, we need him, we can call on him, but... For us to never forget what Jesus did for us. You know, it's easy for that to just become a story of Jesus, you know, died on the cross for us. And you hear it when you're a little kid and then it just becomes normal. But if you really think about what Jesus did for us, it really helps you to worship him wholeheartedly. You know, sometimes in worship I imagine that I'm, uh, I'm in Roman times and the Roman soldiers are taking me to the cross for the punishment that I deserve 
And all of a sudden, Jesus steps in and he says, take me instead. Then I watch and I'm, I'm just torn apart. I'm a mess and I'm shouting, no, Lord, you know, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And it's just, it's a, a really vulnerable place to be in worship. If you ever are feeling like you can't enter into worship and you're feeling like you're stuck, it's a good kind of um, thing to imagine to help you get there because it really helps you to be grateful and you know, God has, has saved me. He saved our family. You know, if, if Jared and I hadn't rededicated our lives to God, I probably, we probably wouldn't be married. We, I'd probably be a single mom, and we wouldn't have our three other children. And um, God saved my family, too, for, as a, my parents and um, my sisters. And I, um, my parents, they were addicted to drugs and alcohol, from when I was a baby, and they were in and out of rehabs a couple times, and there was brief periods where they were clean, but for the majority of my childhood, they were using alcohol and drugs, and um, now my parents have been sober for 10 years, and they are completely sold out for Jesus. They, they are just, I mean, they have that evangelistic heart. They would talk with anybody about what God has done for them. And that's how you should see them worship. When they worship, they are just on the floor all out because God has done so much for them. And they just have the heart to share that with others. And so um, just worshiping out of that grateful heart, you know, for what God has done in our lives. And I'm just, I'm so grateful for, for what God has done. Did you want to talk about that? Yeah, you know, uh, her parents are a trip. I love those guys. They're two of the most godly people I know. A person of praise is a grateful person. I know it's been said, if you feel like your church isn't a worshiping church, you need to question if any of them are saved. <laughs> you guys are awesome. I was sitting up there. We were going through the worship set, and... Uh, it was just amazing to hear all you guys singing out to the king tonight. You know, you got to know that puts a smile on God's face to hear his kids singing to him. Even if you know, even if you know you can't sing a lick, but you're still letting it go. Because you know God loves it. And out of that heart of gratitude, that's where real worship comes from. That's where praise comes from. So to strip down the definition of worship, it's honoring God. To strip down the definition of praise, it's thankfulness. It's expressing thankfulness and praise by its very nature is expressive. Pastor Robert Morris has said, worship is love expressed. So I encourage you, if you're in here tonight and you are just so grateful for what God has done in your life, in your marriage, in your family, don't hold back your praise. Don't hold it back because he's worthy. He's worthy of it all and more. Yeah, we got to wrap this up. Yeah. We have so much information. <laughs> yeah. Man, we could turn this into a. We just wanted to give you guys uh, some practical things that, to take away from this. I know this is a, a big subject and not a lot of time, so um, hopefully we'll be able to share more with you later. But number one is just spend time with him to, yeah. you know, 
just practical things that we can do on a day-to-day basis. Spending time with him. Um, you know, just like if I don't spend quality time with Jared, that's going to hurt our marriage and we're not going to have a close relationship. It's the same with the Lord. Um, just spending time in his word, putting some praise music on at home, worshiping him, and uh, just depending on him on a daily basis, talking with him, casting our burdens to him. Psalm 55:22 it says, give your burdens to the Lord and he will take care of you. You know, ask him what to do in situations. If you have a choice, if you have a decision, pray about it. Ask him what you should do and follow his peace. I mean, that's what Jared and I have always done, tried to do. You know, anytime we had a big decision, we always try to follow God's peace. Yeah. And just making God a priority. You know, what's the first thing you do in the morning? It's, do you look at your phone? You know, it's really hard. It's, it's a hard thing. We have so many things going on. We're so busy, and there's a lot of distractions in our day and age. And so putting God, making God a priority is something we have to be really intentional about. But if we just spend that first portion of our morning with the Lord, even if it's just a small devotion, it's amazing how much closer you can feel to God and how much better your day will go yeah. when you're doing your day with him. And uh, do you want to? And the last okay. thing, you know, um, your thought life. Your thought life is a big thing. Joyce Meyer says, get rid of your stinking thinking. You know, worry, fear, anxiety, that's just meditating on those things. God tells us to meditate on his word. That's why it's a great challenge. I love that Alicia just said that. Before you check your news feed, your Facebook news feed in the morning or email or anything like that, read a verse. Wake up and ask God, God, how can I bless you today? How can I bless you today, Father? So I encourage you to do that. Uh, we have tons more we could talk about. Um, but we wanted to end this three-week series um, with a time of worship. With a time of worship. So I'm going to ask Jasmine to come on up. Um, we want to give you guys an opportunity. All the things we've been talking about. God says in Matthew 6.33 to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. God says seek him first. How do we do that? Through living a lifestyle of worship. Living a lifestyle where we wake up in the morning and say, God, how can I bless you today? I want to honor you in every part of my life. God is not asking for your perfection. That's why Jesus came and paid the price for us. God is asking for your pursuit so just a heart check moment. If we could all stand together. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word, in honor of God's presence in the room. Just have a heart check moment. Have a heart check moment. Ask yourself, how am I doing? How's my pursuit? If we could all bow our heads, close our eyes. Take this moment, just ask God, God, what are the areas of my life that are getting in the way of you? Is it my computer, my television, a relationship? Is it my job? take this moment real quick. If there's anyone in here, if you're in here tonight,
with every head bowed, every eye closed, I just want to ask you, if there's anyone in here tonight that has not asked Jesus into their heart as their Lord and Savior, I don't want to miss this chance. If that's you, right now is your moment. I want you to raise your hand nice and high so we can see it, so we can say that prayer together. If that's you, if you need to ask Jesus into your heart, lift your hand high tonight. Let's, let's pray. Father God, right now, I ask you into my heart. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me my sins. Help me to forgive others. Help me to forgive myself. Right now, I declare that you are Lord over my life over every part. In Jesus' name.